effective leadership in and of itself is virtuous. That great leadership, regardless of the results that we get, is something that we should pursue. And, and I don't think that we, we assess or promote on that enough. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Leadership Podcast. My name is Tyler Bailey. I'm here with Susan Power. We're going to be focusing on decision-making skills, things that you can do today or in your next meeting to be a better leader. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, giving us the recommendations, having guests come on the show that are incredible, just like the one today. And if you are liking this podcast, give it a like or share it with somebody that you love because you never know. You might just make their day. It might have information that they really needed to hear. With that said, is Dave McCowan. Dave McCowan is the founder and CEO of Outfield Leadership. Dave now speaks and coaches and trains on moving from execution to excellence. His goal is to help organizations build a culture of real, authentic, but ultimately results-driven leadership. He has shared his leadership strategies at Inc. 500, and GroCo conferences, Bank of America, or British government. He's everywhere. Dave is from Northern Ireland, and he now lives in Southern California with, with his wonderful wife, Paris. Let's hop into it. Dave McCallum. Welcome, Dave, to the Inspired Leadership Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. To start, Dave, maybe you can tell us how you would describe your sweet spot and, and what are you best known for? Sure, happy to. Um, so uh, most of the work that I do is with senior leadership teams, helping them set and achieve their strategic growth goals with ease. So part of that is building the strategic plan. Uh, the second part is then helping them build an implementation rhythm to execute that. Uh, and then the third part is to work with the leaders individually and as a team uh, on the behaviors and skill set that they need to execute and implement on that plan. Do you mainly focus with implement, uh, putting together a plan? Do you mainly focus on behaviors? Do you focus on how, how far, how deep do you go into, into it? Do you talk about even the thoughts? Like what, what basis of uh, do you, you come at it? Where I really add most value is in helping uh, a group or a team come together that may have um, a degree of immaturity. And I don't mean that in a personal perspective, but I mean that more just in a, in a leadership perspective in terms of getting into a room and making really good, solid decisions. At, at the end of the day, our strategic plans and our organizations are only as good as the people that put them together. Um, and there are, there are a lot of uh, teams for whom... Um, they just haven't developed the ability to sit together to have an open, honest discussion around the issues that are in front of them, to balance uh, data on one hand with good debate and decision making on another, and then ultimately to stack hands and align uh, on a direction. And so I bring a framework that allows us to have an open, honest conversation Um and where we get to is really guided by that process and that framework and just helping the disparate voices um, in the room share their perspective and then ultimately move towards a good decision. You find that's harder in this virtual environment to get people to really get down to the heart of the matter and have those tough conversations? 
It, it can be, uh, you know, so much of it is is how you frame up the discussion. Uh, I do think that we're we're a little bit primed to move more towards um, very practical, tactical discussions in a virtual environment. It's almost like, okay, whenever you fire up the Zoom or, or whatever video platform that you use, we're just kind of here to get down to business. And it's like, we don't have as much of that room for discussion and exploration. Um, but I think that you can overcome that one by designing a really good strategic planning session. Uh, but secondly, getting participants into that mindset uh, initially, uh, I'm a huge believer in the power of intention setting and, and whether it's a strategic planning discussion or another development opportunity that a leader is, is, is sitting in on just causing them or having them uh, reflect on what they want to get out of the session and what they want to put into it can just help prime and frame our mind for a more open, creative um, discussion. So it's not impossible. It's a little more difficult, but I think that there are ways to get there. You know, I, I must say there, there are moments that I have with, with the team, with our team, and we are just flying. We are coming up with the best ideas and we're, they seem so easy and they're so, they're, they're just in line with what we're trying to do. And, but there are days that we have the same intention, same setup, same everything, and we just get stuck. We can't do it. We can't move. We can't. Do you have any advice on how on those days? How do you break out of that cycle? And it happens. It seems to just like you get up on the wrong side of the bed. You get up on the wrong side of the week. You know, it just keeps it goes into the cycle. How do you break out of it? What do you suggest? I, I I think sometimes, honestly, just recognizing it and walking away from it. You know, I think that sometimes we we confuse motion with progress, and so we have those days, and we just feel like God, we just didn't, we didn't make, um, we didn't go in a direction, and so we didn't make progress. And and sometimes that's okay. You know, the 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 world will keep spinning, and your business will keep on moving in a direction. And and sometimes I'm a believe, you know, I'm a big believer in not always forcing. Um, a direction to go in. So sometimes just saying, hey, look, we're just not making progress here. Let's take a break, whether it's 20 minutes, half an hour, whether it's a day or two, let's just come and, and, and then come back together and try to reframe it. Sometimes just giving folks a little bit of time to let stuff sit and percolate in their brain and, and, and come and approach it in, in, another, um, in another way can be really helpful for that. Second thing that you can do in that situation is maybe just bring some more voices into the room. Maybe there's somebody in your team that wasn't involved in the discussion before. You bring them in and say, "Hey, this is what we're you know we're discussing. What what's your perspective?" And and just try to um, you know sometimes those challenges that we have in in our business, it's a lot like just picking up an, an object and having to look at it from as, as many different ways as we can before we get a full understanding of it. And so if you can round out the perspectives in the room, that can be quite helpful i totally understand what you're uh, in my what i do is a lot of uh, speech writing and storyboarding and sometimes you think you get something to the best you can get it and your team your group you're like yeah that's great and you kind of get in this group think mm. problem right and uh the second you bring in somebody else it can just kind of flip it on its head and say and make it astronomically better i, I love that that bringing in just a new perspective or Right. And you'll also be aware then, you know, if you've got that background in, in storyboarding and, and writing that often the first draft is, is, is rubbish, you know, That's <laughs> and, are always rewritten. I, I, yeah. I, 
right and and you know sometimes the same are, are in our discussions and our teams you know we can come up with a solution and sometimes you come back to it two days later and you just go that that just wasn't great mm-hmm. and 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 that's okay you know just understanding that and 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 being aware of that i think is is fine i, I think too often we put too much pressure particularly at a leadership setting that we've got to get it right right away otherwise we're failing at our jobs and and that's just yeah. not you know this is not how human nature really works and that type of pressure, I think, stifles creativity. And I like what you say about bringing another voice into the room because you introduce a new energy and, you know, opinion lens, and it can kind of uh, spark something right. in the rest of the group that takes yeah. it in a new direction. Yeah, too often we are, I, I feel like we're just playing not to lose rather than playing to win. And so that 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 stifles that creativity, that innovation. It, it forces us to, to settle on the you know, the least bad option in front of us. And, Mm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't force us to really wrestle with what's in front of us. If we're, if all we want to do is ensure that, Hey, just let's make sure we don't lose. Like, let's just get the first idea that feels okay. That could be done that we're all like, "Uh, okay about, and, and rather than actually staying with it and wrestling with it and coming up with what could ultimately be a much greater solution. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You host an amazing podcast and I love the, the name of it, uh, Lead Like You Give a Damn. And on one of your episodes, you talk about vulnerability and emotional safety with your guest. And this comes up so much these days with Brene Brown. And it's, I hear it on coaching calls all the time. I want to be my authentic self. But doing that is not that clear cut for most people. So I'm just wondering what you might've seen works for others to help leaders embrace vulnerability and lead their teams authentically. Sure. I think it's a, it's an interesting and it's an important point. It, it's almost got to the point where it's starting to oversaturate our lexicon, particularly the authenticity part. And actually the funny thing is we're running f- the risk of you know, you see a lot of, particularly from a social media perspective, people being their quote unquote authentic self. Um, but actually what they're doing is they're manufacturing something that's supposed to be the authentic self. So when we're talking about authenticity, I mean, for me, it really is just that ability to walk into a room and to feel like you're able to be completely who you are. Um, and, you know, I think it's, a, I, I use this point to illustrate it quite often, you know, have you ever been in one of those phone calls or those meetings where, you know, and it's a team that works together. Somebody comes in, the leader comes in and there's this moment at the beginning of the meeting where everybody's chatting, like, you know, how was the weekend? How are the kids? Did you see the game? It's all like very social. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, <clears throat> okay, well, thank you all for being here. And it's like, what are you doing? Who are you? We were literally just chatting about, you know, the football game or whatever. And now we're doing this weird, like, vocal thing that we think is being professional. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for unprofessionalism, but I think that there's a way to turn up in our teams and our groups and be who we are and be professional at the same time. So I think that's the authenticity piece uh, that in order to really do that, that requires a degree of vulnerability. Part of the reason why that we put on that professional facade and that mask is because we believe that we'll be uh, taken more seriously, that it'll um, increase our chances of our ideas being chosen. It'll help our promote promotability. And in some organizations, unfortunately, that is the case. Um, I think that there is a, a big movement um, away from that towards just saying, look, 
come as you are don't be unprofessional but be professional be professionally you whoever that that is and, and whatever that looks like um and, and the other thing with vulnerability that i think is just hugely important is just the ability to say you know what the world is so complex and i don't know the answer but you know what as a team there are enough smart people in this room that we will figure this out uh, and i think um more and more leaders are starting to follow that mold of just saying you know we don't there, there used to be this notion that in order to be an effective leader you had to turn up with certainty you had to know the way show the way and go the way you had to be at the front follow me and then the world's just way too complex for that and people know that and people are starting to see that that's just a just a facade um so, and it so builds trust right when the leader says that it's like okay they're going to give me the honest goods if they don't know the answer and then i'll believe them when they do talk with certainty and, and give an opinion for sure. And I think a big example that highlighted just how important um, leading with vulnerability is, is just way back in March 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, you see, a, you saw a bunch of leaders came out right whenever things started to get tricky. And they were saying, you know what, we have, we have weathered storms before, and we know how to get through a crisis, and we're going to get through this together. And literally at that point, like nobody knew anything. We didn't know how long it was going to stick around for, how deep of an impact it was going to have, how deadly it was, how quickly it was going to spread, what it was going to have, you know, impact our, on our economies. I was seeing these leaders come out. And I'm like, you don't know that. You don't know how to get through this. You really don't, because it's not like anything that we've ever seen before. And then we started to see other leaders come through that said, you know what, this is a challenge unlike anything that we've ever faced. But I do believe in the resilience of us and our team. And I know that collectively we can get through this together. And they started to, to bring more perspectives into their room, into their decision-making that said, okay, well, what do we need to do in the short term and then the medium term and the long term to, to, to weather this and, and get through it? And it's one aspect that I hope will we'll continue as, as we begin to emerge and whatever the next phase is that mm -hmm. leaders understand, I don't have to be certain in everything to, to be an effective leader. But when we look at leadership, we, we know that there's all these different levels of leadership. You have the, you, know, you can have the management, the servant leadership, all the way up to the, well, you could even call it the spiritual leader, right? Um, what does this is a theme of our podcast and love to know your your definition we get all kinds of definitions of this what does inspired leadership mean to you i i think for me it's all about the ability to cast a vision with your team for where you're going and what you want to achieve and and why it is that you do what you do every day and that can happen at, at, at every level it can be a big organizational vision it can be right down to you know frontline team dealing with support requests who are you as a team where you go and why do you do what you do and um encouraging people to take that vision and use it as an opportunity not just to get there collectively as a team, but also to grow and develop and stretch themselves. Um, I think that one of the key facets of good leadership is the ability to help the people underneath you, not just achieve things collectively, but to grow and develop uh, and to, 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 to master whatever it is that they're working on at that particular point. Wow, so you've got the, the, you've got the idea of accomplishing the mission at hand but right. through that you're also saying inspiring the team to also develop in their own ways to master in their own ways while accomplishing 
the mission at hand for sure because because surely the job of, of a leader is to grow a team that will ultimately go on or could ultimately go on to do greater and better things than what the leader was there to achieve in the first place you know you look back in some of the some of the older models of leadership that are still in some of our organizations there's this notion of all we got to do is win all we got to do is just hit our sales targets all we got to do is just deliver the best customer service all we got to do is be the number one in this industry and i think that we've seen that just taking that single focus um it ends up leaving a ton of people left behind, burnt out, demoralized, just not excited about what's happening. And I think that more and more our leaders have got to say, hey, it's not enough to just be the best or hit that number one goal or get that BHAG. If my team is just, if there's just a wreck of people behind me, you know, they've got to grow and develop uh, into the best version of themselves as a result of achieving that goal. Because otherwise, what really is the point? If we're not leaving our people better than we find them, what's really the point? What's really the point, right? And, and I feel like this pandemic has transformed almost expectations around leadership. I, I read an article the other day, I think it was the CEO of Corn Ferry had wrote about uh, radically human leadership, mm -hmm. right? That that people, it's almost like the next generation of leadership, what the expectations are, are so much higher and different than they were a year ago and how people want to be led, whether that's the social responsibility piece and not just the exclusive focus on profitability, because we all just saw raf rapid turmoil in our economy. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like for the better, COVID has evolved expectations around leadership. It's definitely accelerated a lot of what folks were talking about or, or were on the on the phrase, you know, and, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown and some of the great work that she did. And there were discussions that were being had before all of this, but it definitely shone a light on the need for it. And, you know, we're seeing it even now as organizations are starting to grow back the struggle and the trouble that they're having in hiring people to meet the demand that is now rebounding is is incredible and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that but one of them is that i think people are becoming more they're beginning to realize that they should have more control over the situation that they're gonna find themselves in so you know whether it is just hey you know what I, I actually have been able to work from home quite well over the last 12 months would love to be able to do that one one day a week two days a week some people are like i want to do that for the rest of my life down to the uh and actually i i i i want to move towards being viewed as a holistic person with with everything that i bring rather than just my ability to hit hit a number um, and, I, and I don't think that we're, we're, we're there yet, but I, I'm, I'm glad that the conversation is being accelerated. Why, why did you decide to write your book, uh, The Self-Evolved Leader, and what did you learn in the process of, of writing it? It was something that I'd wanted to do for quite a while. Um, and the reason was... I wanted to expand the impact that I could have. Um, this was all before the pandemic, obviously. So the work that I did involved me standing up in a room full of people and whether we were doing strategic planning or leadership development, uh, walking them through uh, a, a um, an experience to help them grow and learn. It's not a particularly 
scalable model for uh, taking what you've got and, and, and working with people because it requires me to be in a room and requires the people to be in a room. Um, books are, are, are a wonderful way to just scale impact. You know, anybody can pick up a copy. Folks can um, use it in their monthly team book club. Um, and, and so that was one aspect. The, the second aspect was I, I did want to commit to paper what my current thoughts were on what it meant to be a really great leader. Um, to, to really wrestle with what that actually looked like for me. And I think that was probably the biggest learning that I took away from it. Um, you know, I'd been working with leaders individually and collectively for 10 years before I wrote the book. Uh, and this just gave me, and I'd, I'd, I'd written articles and I'd done videos and a whole bunch of stuff. And this just gave me the opportunity to just bring it together into one uh, cohesive model. So impact, and then also the just bringing that together in one place. I got a little, I, I want to ask you a little tangent here. Um, if you had to pick three qualities and only, I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, if you had to pick three qualities of a leader, and we all know that these great strengths come with great weakness as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you had to choose only three qualities and give a leader those three to focus on, what were the, what would be your top three? I know there's so many, but what would those top three be That's if you had to? If you had to distill question. it, and I, I mean, we can think of so many, right? The first one I think would be intentionality. Um, I think too often we are in reactive mode and we respond to situations based on our past experience, um, our ego, uh, and our habits. And that sometimes can be positive, sometimes it can't be. But just intentionality of like, you know, a new bit of information to come in, okay, what do I want the outcome to be with this? How can I best approach it? So I don't and, repeat what, say, any past fail. Say that yeah. again, Tyler. So you don't repeat any past failures so you can use that information the best to move forward. For, for sure. Okay. So I think intentionality is, is, is one. Um, the, the next one is, is real and, and intentionality is easy ish to, teach and train on the next one's way more difficult and it's it's about reducing your own ego um i think and it's probably linked to that aspect of how we react is that a lot of leaders are in it because they are going to get something out of it and you know we hear again and again and again that there's a there's a gap between uh how competent our leaders believe that they are and how competent their team believes that they are. And I think a big part of that is just because they lead with, with, with their ego. What am I going to get out of this? How is this going to make me um, appear better, stronger, faster, um, more competent? The greatest leaders, they, they, have, they have no ego. The end goal, not that they have no ego, they're, they're able to overcome some of the habitual aspects of their ego to say, you know what? What I care about is getting is getting to the right place, not about getting to the place that I want to get to. Um, and then I think the the third one would be, funny enough, the ability to facilitate more than they lead. Uh, one of the biggest downfalls of teams is the inability to come into a room and and, and truly walk through a facilitated experience where they end up making good decisions. And the, the reason is that a lot of leaders have not 
uncovered or learned how to be a good facilitator. So it's the reason why most people avoid meetings. They hate meetings. I don't want to go to meetings. Meetings are ter terrible. They're a waste of time. Well, it's not that you hate meetings. You just hate bad meetings. In fact, good meetings are, are some of the, you know, you can, you can have a really transformative experience in a good meeting, but most leaders are terrible at leading meetings. And so if they could switch towards facilitation, that would be it. Their, their ego gets in the way. They want to hear themselves talk too much and then they can't sure. facilitate. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And they're also worried. A lot of leaders are worried that if I facilitate a process that opens up discussion, that we're never going to be able to get out of that, that it, they, they, they view progress and, and forward um, moving and discussion and consensus as being in, in competition with each other. And so for every, every little bit of a crack in a door and a window that I, I open to my team for discussion and debate, that, that, that scares a lot of leaders because they don't know how they're going to wrangle that back towards a, a, a decision. And that, that's just the art of facilitation. You get good at facilitation, that worry goes away. Um, so it would be intentionality, lack of remove your ego and get good at facilitation. And I love, I love that because each of them really focus on helping you make better decisions and making better decisions for, with your team rather than just relying on yourself and past experience and just going, going with, and yeah, I mean, you, we, we could have said, oh yeah, just help develop your team, help develop that. There's so many areas, but you really, it's all about making better decisions. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be a little glib on mm -hmm. it at the end of the day, um, good leadership comes down to decisions, make more good decisions than poor ones. And you're doing a good job, make more bad ones than good ones. And there's, a, there's a problem. And that, that applies not just to um, whether we achieve our goals, but it also applies to whether we develop our people. Leaders are, are decision-making machines are just constantly at a very micro level. You know, you think about even just like every little interruption that comes into a, a leader's day-to-day -day workflow, whether it's an email, a phone call, an IM message, there's a micro decision that you make about every single one of those and just getting really good both individually and then as with your team on making stronger decisions will, will, will help ensure that you're moving in the right direction. Well, from, from making all the, from this platform of looking at decision-making, um, how can leaders rebuild growth plans in a world of uncertainty so if we're, we're so uncertain we don't even know where to go there where where's a good place to start um well, it was interesting because pre-pandemic we had started to bring our um horizon of focus down anyway so people used to talk about five-year and ten-year plans and then people started to say well hey that's a bit unreasonable the world is going to change so much so then we started to look at three-year plans then the pandemic hit and everyone was like okay what's our three-hour plan uh, and it really <laughs> really hit runway level and for a lot of time for a lot of organizations rightfully so it was there was a war room and it was day to day and it was just how do we get through that um and and now I think we're getting to a point where we want to start to cast our net a little wider again, um, because the thing about getting into a runway level mindset is it's very easy to get stuck in there. Um, when you get pulled into focusing on the actions and tactics that need to happen, there's a really strong gravitational pull there. And it's hard to get away from that towards thinking about um, the medium and long-term direction that you're going in. And I think for a lot of organizations, they've sort of find themselves in a bit of a rut of like, well, we're, we're so used to dealing with the day-to-day, -day, so we've just kind of stayed there. Uh, and so I'm encouraging 
um, any leader that's involved in planning to start to look at the next 12 months again, begin to just cast out, okay, we know that anything could happen. We know that things could change, but if all things stayed the same and we would continue on the path that we're on, what do we want to achieve in the next 12 months? And at the same time, have a really ruthless quarterly review process so that you know that you're building up towards that annual plan. Um, and I think that'll help leaders begin to cast a, a, a longer term vision out there um, whilst not losing sight of some of the stuff that still ha has to happen on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. As far Definitely. as... As far as team morale goes, uh, I know the U.S. is further along in the reopening from the lockdown than we are in Canada. We're still very much locked down for now. Uh, but what advice would you have for leaders in, in elevating the morale of the team after such a tough year and, and getting the team to uh, gel again and, and find their groove? Yeah, it, it's interesting in, in talking with leaders about their perspective. I hear a, a lot of what ultimately comes down to we're, we're enthusiastic but exhausted. And so it, depending on, on industry and company and culture and all of that, there's this sense of like, okay, well, at least we're seeing something emerge so we can be a little enthusiastic about the future. But we've still got that, just the trauma of the last year. And I, and I think that there's a couple of things that, we've got to really bear in mind. Um, the first thing is if you start to do some of that work of rebuilding what the organization is from here, I, I don't think there was a single organization. Well, that's a very hyperbolic statement. A good percentage of organizations have been changed in very significant ways as a result of the last 12 to 18 months. Um, some, leaders have done a good job at recognizing what some of those changes are and just verbalizing them and vocalizing them and discussing them. I think that there are some leadership teams that haven't even taken the time to really sit down and go, how have we changed in the last 12 months? Are we still serving the same people? Is our mission still the same? Do we still have the same product mix? Uh, do we still have the same core values? A lot of organizations, their values have been really fundamentally shifted in, in the last year. So having an open, honest conversation that says, well, who are we now looking forward? And, and what is that longer term vision is, is a first step. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient in helping rebuild that morale because people are, are wanting to at least be part of a journey onto something, something next. So if you can engage in an exercise with your team on, on really thinking through who are we now and, and what does the next year or so look like, that'll, that'll help. I think the sec second thing is um, just to, to not, um, to not, dismiss the fact that a lot of people have just gone through a lot of trauma over the last year. And when we look at, you know, return to office or return to whatever it is, return to normalcy, if that's even a reality, there's still a lot of trauma that people have. And we've got to find a way to deal with that on an individual level. And it can come down to decision makings a lot. So uh, question, how can we make better decisions? I know there's uh, the Ben Franklin way of, you know, pros and con list, but what's your way of helping, helping people understand how to make better decisions? Um, so the, the challenge that most organizations, most teams fall into is, it, well, it's, it's one of two things. They're either too debate driven or they're too data driven. And when you're too debate driven, essentially, you just get a bunch of people in a room that have some experiences and some perspectives, and they just come in, they just talk about stuff 
from their from their experience there's a lot of anecdote you know there's a lot of stories that they tell and there's a big tendency to just circle the drains because you've just got opposing perspectives people talk through it you hear the same two or three things over and over and over again and it never feels like we're making progress towards anything on the other side if we're too data driven um we have seeded all gut feeling all sense of of what we bring as a, a human just a set of numbers and and we're just dictated by the numbers the the answer lies in in balancing both data and debate in in an appropriate way um and structuring your decision making process so many teams don't even understand how they make decisions as a team so you know really good method is just to say for every agenda item that we have on our on our um, meeting what's the decision that needs to be made like actually spell it out as a question uh, and then what are the options that we've got to look at and what are some what's some of the data that sits underneath that then when you come into a room actually time bound your debate time say okay we're going to talk about this for 20 minutes give everybody the opportunity to 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 share their thoughts for for 20 minutes and then at the end of 20 minutes here's how we're going to make the decision and there's a whole range of range of ways in which you can make a decision it can be you know it has to be unanimous it has to be majority the person in charge makes a decision and and all of those have pros and cons, but literally just spelling out this is how the decision will be made can really help teams understand their role in helping that decision get made. And it, it reduces some of the politicking that happens. If people are unclear of how a decision is made, then there's always this, we're trying to manipulate and control things to, to go the direction that we want. Yeah. So we get bringing structure into the meeting and uh, making sure that you have a good combination between data and debate and letting people know how the decision will be made is essentially, yeah, making sure everyone's clear about how it's going to be made. Then right. the same thing there, or... So then I, I know my role in all of this, right? There's just there's so many times I've seen teams come into a room and they're like, I, I don't really know how we make decisions. We're just here, we talk about it. And then somebody maybe goes, okay, we'll do this. And somebody maybe goes, okay, well, fine. That sounds good. And there's not as there's not a concrete structure around that. Yeah, I like the idea of putting it right on the agenda. Here's the decision and it makes it crystal clear because sometimes, you know, people aren't clear on what are we meeting about? What, what right. are we trying to decide here? For sure. And and just what are the options as well, you know? Mm -hmm. As far as setting a vision and resetting a vision, because uh, many organizations are, to your point, revisiting their strategic plan for the next 12 months, and they might have a completely different path forward than they did pre-pandemic. That becomes tricky to align people. They might have different visions of the future based on the stakeholder group, different interests. How do you do that when you approach strategic planning, when stakeholders see the future very differently and can't agree? I think the first thing that you've got to do is get the perspectives out there. Um, and so funny enough, not starting necessarily from a position of whole group discussion, but actually getting folks broken up into smaller groups almost as soon as you can to start talking about some of these key things can be really helpful because I think it was you, Tyler, you mentioned groupthink earlier on. You know, all it, all it takes is for somebody with seniority to share their perspective in a full in a room full of people, and everyone goes, "Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that." And we do it just stifled any conversation. Um, and so I'm a big believer in in having people do a little bit of individual reflection and then go off in groups of of three three and four to talk about you 
you know, some of those key meaty questions. Who are we? Who do we serve? How do we serve them? How do we serve them in ways that are better than our competitors? What's the impact of that? What is the world that we want to create? And, and having folks go and have those discussions and then bring them together and, 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 and share perspectives. And hopefully you're starting to see different perspectives in, in, in the room. Um, the next stage then is becomes a little tricky. So you've got to help the group begin to narrow and focus on, on what's most important for them. And, and I often find the best way to do that is once you've got all of the perspectives in the room, um, send one or two working groups out to, to really hash it out and, and bring together some options so that the group can then look at it and debate and, and, and decide on. And ultimately, the, the, there'll be two modes of decision making you'll go to. You'll go for just the big moving parts at a high level. And are we more like this route or are we more like that route? And once you've been able to coalesce around one, then you get into you know basic wordsmithing and that should be left to a smaller group to really tweak and change that. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that you should always bear in mind whenever you're challenging your team about decisions like this is to, to ask them they're not just do, not just do you agree with this or not but what's your comfort level on this on a scale of one to ten where are you and you know some people might be like i'm at a three or a four at which point then you start to think well what, what would it take to get you to a six so that we've just ticked you over into the like i'm okay with it but you're not a you're not a ten but we need to go in this this direction or we need to go in a, a direction we too often think that um, consensus is a binary choice. I'm either in or I'm not, but actually we're, 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 we're complicated human beings. So how can you help bring your team towards a five, a six, and then maybe a seven, eight, nine, and 10, um, at the end. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a definite focus for leaders to, to be focused on. <laughs> there's definitely focus, be focused. Uh, there's definitely focus on development of your team. But what, what, let's just throw this out here. What if you develop your team to a certain level and you just stop? Is that because you're investing your time, you're putting it into your team. What's the point? Why, why shouldn't I just get them to a certain level and say, okay, you can do the rest. You're good enough. What's the point of continuous development? And if it is important, as we obviously know it is, uh, right? Uh, how do we best support that? Well, I think that we've got to look at um, growing into effective leadership in and of itself is virtuous. That great leadership, regardless of the results that we great that, that we get, is something that we should pursue. And and I don't think that we we assess or promote on that enough. I I think that too often we just put people in places of leadership who were good functionally at their job. But if we took a step back and just said, well, 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 there's just something ethical or moral about being a great leader and helping your people to, to develop. If you take that perspective, then you'll, you'll never hit that point where you want to stop. You, you'll, you'll always want to be growing them and, and, and helping them uh, develop. You know, a, a version of that question is when I, work through with leaders on this, they'll look at me and go, well, at some point then, what am I going to do? You know, I've just grown and developed my team and they're so good and so capable. Like, what is my role? At which point I'm like, that's awesome. Like, then you get to do whatever you want to do. Like you get to go on to a different role or a different organization or, 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 or play somewhere else. Um, and so I think it, 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 
it is just having that mindset of continual growth of continual development. And that's not to say that everybody's going to be doing it all the time. Sometimes we have seasons where it's a little harder for us to do that. And we're just kind of riding it out and, and, and that's okay. Again, so, so long as you go back to the intentionality, which says, you know, I'm in this particular season where it's just execution and whenever we're out of that, then I'm going to go back to development and, and just being really clear with yourself and your team on, on what season you're in, I think can be really helpful. It does remind me of what you said at the very beginning about inspired leadership and how you're helping your team obviously accomplish a mission, but you're also helping them develop to stay involved and feel a part of the organization and feel like they're actually growing in their own way to feel connected and build that cohesiveness to the actual, to the company. Mm -hmm. So I, I can definitely see that. And especially if you develop your team great enough, every great business has an exit strategy. So, yeah. Yeah. And also to, to develop them, you know, develop them so that even if they wanted to go somewhere else, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not you're developing your people so that they'll stay with you forever. It's quite the opposite. It's developing your people so that they'll have a, have a fulfilling whole rounded, well-rounded, well-balanced life that they could take anywhere. And, and they may be with you for a short period of time. Uh, they may be with you for their whole career and that's great. But, you know, we spend just as much, if not more time with the people that we work with than most people do with their friends. Some people more than some people do with their own family. Like we're with these people a lot. So if you're leading them, then I just, I feel that there's a duty. There's a, there's a, an onus to, to want to see them succeed and grow and develop. What's next for you, Dave, and where can our listeners go to learn more about outfield leadership and your, your next projects? Um, so I'm continuing to um, just get the word out uh, uh, about the book. Uh, I'm hoping that as we uh, come towards the end of this year and in the next, that that will open up some additional doors that will allow me to go and, and share that message with other groups. Uh, you can find out more about me in the book at outfieldleadership.com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter at Dave McKeown. Love connecting with people and answering questions there. Awesome. The self-evolved leader. So we'll put a link to that with the notes in the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to, to be with you. Thank you to our listeners for your continued support. On behalf of my co-host, Tyler Bailey, and myself, Susan Power, thank you so much for listening. We've been making this podcast for about three years now. And it has been fascinating to see the evolution of what is considered effective leadership. If you picked up something from the cast today, maybe share it. Share it with your organizational leaders. Share it with your HR department. Maybe it will give them a new idea of how to move forward to create even greater leadership in our workplaces and in our world. Until next time, stay inspired.